forgot and never brought to mind. Should all acquaintance be forgot and all lang syne? Greetings and welcome to the 45th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. Happy New Year to all of our WLRN listeners! I'm Dana Vitaloshova, WLRN's newest member from the Eastern European country, Slovakia. I am a writer, radical feminist, and female separatist with a background in social work. This month's edition focuses on the top stories and developments that happened in 2019 with regard to our radical feminist organizing and movements worldwide. We will hear portions of interviews this all did with Elizabeth from the Midwest and with stellar feminist author and thinker Lier Keith. Both of these women highlight the amazing story of the song and dance Un Violador en tu Camino, created by women in Chile, that has gone viral across the entire globe. They also both mention the Nordic model and how it has been adopted in several countries to mitigate the harms of the prostitution industry. Stay tuned to hear the different stories and events they emphasize and the different angles they take that make for a lively and wonderful show, reflecting back on the year 2019 and looking ahead to 2020. Finally, Sekma Chia will close out the show in the year with her reflections that, as always, are insightful and on point. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start of today's edition, here's WLRN's Women's News from around the globe for this Thursday, January 2nd, 2020, as delivered by yours truly. On December 18th, a British judge ruled that when tax expert and longtime feminist activist Maya Forstetter lost her job at the think tank Center for Global Development for stating her gender-critical views. This conduct of her former employer did not constitute discrimination. As the British philosopher Catherine Stock wrote after the event, quote, Today, a UK judge ruled that the belief that biological sex is immutable is incompatible with fundamental human rights and not worthy of legal protection. In other words, you can be sacked for stating it." End of quote. This is an example of Maya Forstetter's tweets that were cited in the judgment and deemed transphobic. Quote, yes, I think that male people are not women. I don't think being a woman slash female is a matter of identity or womanly feelings. It is biology. After her employment at the think tank terminated, Maya Forstater raised more than 130,000 US dollars from individual donors online to cover expenses for legal representation. The day after Judge James Taylor ruled that Maya Forstater's tweets were incompatible with fundamental human rights, the author of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, tweeted her support, quote, Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you. Live your best life in peace and security. But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real? Hashtag, I stand with Maya. Hashtag, this is not a drill. End of quote. While the gender-critical community celebrated her tweet, trans activists were outraged. At first, the author received online accusations of transphobia. 
Later, she also got a barrage of death and rape threats, as well as plans of publicly burning her books. The tweet has, however, amassed nearly 200,000 likes, sparked many discussions, and successfully showed the world the intensity of misogynistic vitriol aimed at gender-critical women. Toxic Beauty, a new documentary exploring the link of Johnson Johnson's salt-based baby powder to ovarian cancer, is set to appear on the Canadian documentary channel on the 5th of January. As Megan Murphy wrote in her article in Feminist Current last July, Johnson Johnson was ordered to pay 4.7 billion US dollars to a group of women who said the company's baby powder caused ovarian cancer. Allegedly, since the 60s, the company knew about the risks of talk to women's health, but did nothing. Moreover, despite the successful lawsuit, Johnson Johnson's baby powder is still being sold across the world. Toxic Beauty, the documentary directed by Phyllis Ellis, not only deals with talk-based products, but also with other toxic chemicals commonly found in women's beauty and cosmetic products. You can listen to an interview with the documentary's director at feministcurrent.com. In December, Nepal experienced the first arrest connected to the practice of exiling women into menstruation huts. After 21-year-old Parvati Budaravad was found suffocated in such a hut, the police arrested her brother-in-law to investigate whether he forced her to enter the hut. Exiling women into poorly constructed huts because women are considered unclean during menstruation became illegal in Nepal last year. Because of this traditional practice, several women a year are killed and many more are injured. While sleeping in makeshift huts, women are at risk of physical assault, snake bites, freezing temperatures and suffocation. While many people applaud the decision to make this practice illegal, the penalty for this crime remains very light. A three-month jail sentence and a fine of 3,000 rupees, so approximately $30. Since 2014, when revenge porn became illegal in Canada, police forces received more than 5,000 complaints of people allegedly sharing intimate images or videos without consent. Canadian government criminalized revenge porn after two girls, Retea Parsons and Amanda Todd, took their own lives following widespread distribution of their intimate images. Retea Parsons was 17 when she killed herself. She was 15 when she was allegedly gang-raped at a party. An explicit photo was taken of her vomiting out of a window as one of the boys had sex with her and gave a thumbs up. Amanda Todd was 15 when she hanged herself after her experience of being blackmailed into exposing her breasts via webcam. However, despite increasing complaints about revenge porn incidents, only 20% of reports resulted in criminal charges. 17-year-old US citizen Crystal Kaiser faces life in prison for killing her alleged abuser and sex trafficker, 34-year-old Randy Waller. She shot him dead after he allegedly tried to rape her. This happened only a few weeks after his arrest and charged with child enticement, second-degree sexual assault of a child, and using a computer to facilitate a child sex crime. Despite being suspected of human trafficking and child pornography, he was released on the same day of his arrest. Moreover, Waller paid no bail and was never summoned to court. A Wisconsin judge ruled that the abuse Crystal says she suffered could not be used as an affirmative defense in her murder trial. You can help Crystal Kaiser to get her charges dropped by signing a petition at change.org. You can find a link to the petition in this podcast's description. Two girls, 5-year-old Mary Giang and 11-year-old Godgive Miam, accused of witchcraft, were set ablaze in the Nigerian state of Plateau. The victims are currently fighting for their lives in the Plateau State Specialist Hospital. Chairperson of Nigeria Association of Women Journalists stated, quote, The members of the community have continued to shield the perpetrators of this dastardly act 
and chased security agents when they went to arrest suspects. Since nobody is above the law, concerted efforts should be made to arrest and prosecute all those involved in this act of inhumanity to serve as a deterrent to others." End quote. According to BBC, the stigmatization of children as witches exploded in Nigeria in the 1990s. Before that, elderly women used to be the main targets. 300 women gather on the 8th of December in Istanbul, Turkey and perform the song and dance Rape is in your path. This flash mob was originally created by the Chilean group Las Tesis to protest against male violence as well as to condemn the state for failing to protect women. In Istanbul, however, the Turkish police fired tear gas to disperse the protest and seven protesters were detained over the lyrics of the song. Those arrested were charged with opposition to meeting and march laws, insulting the president and insulting state institutions. The protest was also motivated by the rising numbers of women murdered by men in Turkey. According to women's rights group We Will Stop Femicide, 391 women in Turkey were killed by men in 2019. In a groundbreaking ruling of the West African Regional Court, Sierra Leone was ordered to stop banning visibly pregnant girls from schools. The government forbade pregnant teenagers to attend schools in 2015 for reasons connected to patriarchal beliefs in morality and women's bodies. According to Equality Now, the country's Ministry of Education was also worried more young women would wish to become pregnant if they saw a pregnant classmate. These fears seem to not take into account the fact that many of these pregnancies were the result of rape. Marta Colomer from Amnesty International, Western Central Africa, hopes that the ruling would push other African countries with similar bans to reverse them. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, January 2nd, 2020. I'm Dana Vitalosheva. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and letting us know what's going on. That was Ingrid Michelson with her song, Old Lang Syne. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Thistle did with radical feminist Elizabeth from the Midwest. Elizabeth runs a Facebook page, Radical Feminism Resources, and has her finger on the pulse of our movement. 
She talked with Thistle via Skype about her take on the top stories and developments of 2019 as they relate to feminism and women's news. Welcome, Elizabeth, to WLRN. Thanks for having me, Thistle. It's good to be here. So just to let our listeners know, I know Elizabeth because she is a radical feminist organizer in the Midwest, and we worked on WimCon together, which was, how would you describe WimCon, Elizabeth? Oh, a huge success and inspiring to many feminists um, based on what they said to us (laughs) and inspiring to me. Oh, what was it? It was a radical feminist conference that we organized um, in 2018, um, and it was attended by about 80 women. We were we actually had to turn people away because the venue that we'd gotten couldn't accommodate everyone who wanted to come, or it would have been bigger. Um, but we had lots of fantastic radical feminist speakers there. I was just going to say that we had some pretty big names there. Can you list off some of those names? And then just as an aside to WLRN on our YouTube channel, we have coverage. We have videos made of these speakers that you're about to list off. Yeah. So we had um, some of the so we had well-known people and then other women who were not as publicly well-known, but still really amazing and great speakers so let's see, like Nina Paley was there and Megan Murphy, Julie Bindle, Sheila Jeffries, Gail Dines, um, <laughs> all sorts of people. What we are catching Elizabeth on the line today about is we're looking back on 2019 because we're ringing in the new year. We're ringing in 2020. And Elizabeth has her finger on the pulse. She also... Uh, <laughs> manages a Facebook page called Radical Feminism Resources. And I can say as a WLRN reporter that I rely on Radical Feminism Resources as a source for getting current material, current stories that um, are impacting women from around the world. So uh, Elizabeth, what do you think were the top stories of 2019 for women and, and why? Well, um, 2019 was a was a crazy year. <laughs> We've had a few crazy years. Um, I would say that it's really it was a time of crisis around the world. Um, there's a rise in authoritarianism um, that we've seen in elections in lots of countries around the world, and an accompanying rise in the increased oppression of women and also attempted silencing of women about our oppression. Um, coming from men's rights movements on both the right and the left. Um, But there's also a feminist uprising happening around the world. Um, And so that's really exciting. So there are these there's kind of this dialectic of oppression and women rising up to fight back. Um, And one of the big things that happened toward the end of the year was um, these fantastic feminist protests across the world um, that started in Chile um, where group, uh, groups of feminist women invented this song and dance called A Rapist in Your Path, Un Violador en Tu Camino, and they started performing it um, in public. And it's all about, it's, it's against rape and male violence and basically saying that the state and all the accoutrements of the, of the patriarchy are um, 
you know, are the rapist. And this went viral and it's been performed all over the world by huge groups of women um, in France and Spain and Mexico and the U.S. and in Africa and England. Um, it's really become an anthem for feminists around the world. Um, so that's one thing. And, and I know WLRN recently covered the rise of feminism, a feminist movement in Mexico, right? Yeah, we did. So that's, that's been exciting. Um, remind me like what sort of what that story was about in particular in Mexico. Well, I think in interviewing a young feminist, Magali Ramirez of a Marxist feminist organization, revolutionary organization called uh, Rosas Rojas or Red Roses. Um, what I took from that is that these women are ready to go out on the streets and wreak some havoc to end male violence. And mm-hmm. to really, they, they really have each other's backs. They're, uh, they're, they're unafraid and um, they've had enough. I mean, that if you listen to Sekhmet Shiel's commentary, also from last month's podcast, she compares, right. you know, feminists in Latin America and their situation to white feminists in the United States and our situation and how, you know, we're not having to deal with this huge imperialist nation coming into our country and undermining our economies and you know, the racism, obviously, we don't have to deal with that and the, the immigration issue and just all of the things that Mexican women and Latin American women face and how that makes their situation more dire. And, mm-hmm. you know, which is why it's like they they have a, a sense of urgency, I think. And mm-hmm. but anyway, I'm just very impressed with uh, Latin American feminists. Yeah. And I agree Absolutely. that that is a huge story, even though it happened less than a month ago uh, at the time of this recording that we're doing right now. Um, it was on November 25th when the Chilean women, and I can't remember the name of the organization, but it was done by an organization. And those lyrics are, I mean, They're I will incredible. link to the, I'm going to link to the lyrics in, uh, in this podcast because I totally agree with you that that's one of the top stories. It's like the kickoff of another me too movement. It is. Um, it and, is. And, and it's really uniting women all around the world. Um, yeah. all, I, I feel so much solidarity with these women all over the world. Um, and another group I feel really huge solidarity with is um, in South Korea. There's this group of, of radical feminist young, quite young women um, doing this anti-marriage movement. Um, it's called something like the four B's, the four, which means the four no's, like if I can remember what they are, like no dating, no sex, no children and no marriage. And they uh, it's, it's sort of related to um, the anti, you know, misogynistic beauty movement in South Korea, where South Korean women have been so um, heavily sort of propagandized to. Um, leave their jobs when they get married and to kowtow to men and to wear makeup. And a lot of them are really just completely rebelling against all of that and rejecting all of it completely to the extent where they're like, we're not getting married. We're not having relationships with men. Mm -hmm. And it's really something to see. I've been following that story too. And so far I have not found a spinoff story from that one about them becoming lesbians and mass. It's been more of like a rejection of heterosexual relationships um and seeing a political political connection to women you know being oppressed in that way and that there's a freedom in saying no to that 
and banding together. Right. But has there been, have you found an article about a group that's, you know, becoming out as lesbians? I don't think I have. And it's interesting that you ask that because I've been wondering that too, whether that will be the next step for some of them. Um, but I, but as you say, I don't think it's necessarily a connection or a next step. You know, I think it could be, or it could not be, you know, either one is, is equally valid that they could decide um, that it makes sense to have romantic relationships with women because they center women in their lives, or it could just be that they're rejecting all the accoutrements of patriarchy um, and not necessarily. Right. And maybe, maybe it boils down to the individual and that, you know, with the rise of lesbianism in the second wave, some individuals were really into that and it became a thing and others Mm -hmm. were, you know, I've heard Julie Bindle talk about this actually. It's like, you you can be who you need to be as a woman. Your sex life is your private life and you don't have to have sex with anybody and you can still right. be a lesbian, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I really appreciate that. But now we're getting into a topic that I don't know how all of our listeners feel, of course, but um, I definitely think that lesbianism is a political act. It can be in patriarchy and um I was just wondering you know if 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 there was that lesbian feminist consciousness coming out of South Korea as well as this you know just rejection of patriarchal marriage and Mm -hmm. patriarchal heterosexuality I I haven't seen that yet but I do know that um some of the young radical feminists in South Korea recently invited Sheila Jeffries there um, for like a whole week, I think. And and she did a series of talks and they're very, very into, you know, her ideas. And she definitely believes in political lesbianism. So that's, you know, I, I don't know where that will go, but, but it's just good to see them rejecting, you know, the oppressions of patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think be, it'll be fun to watch how it evolves in 2020 mm-hmm. to, to follow that story. Definitely. And I think something related in terms of women's control over their own bodies and their own sexuality and their own decisions, whether or not to be sexual, um, is the rise of the Nordic model is something else that we're seeing. So um, the Nordic model, which criminalizes the men who pay to rape prostituted women, but does not criminalize the prostituted women and children um, in prostitution, is um, being adopted in, I think it's been adopted now in 10 countries around the world. And France adopted it in 2016, and Israel adopted it in 2019. And Germany now is working on it, which is pretty incredible because Germany is one of the most horrific, um, horrifically abusive countries in the world uh, for prostituted people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Do you happen when, to know so, where the United States is in its discussion of the Nordic model? Well, um, in the U.S., there aren't any federal laws about prostitution crimes are criminal law is on the state level mostly in the u.s Um, and so it's a state by state thing i don't think there are any um you know there's there's people arguing about it and there aren't any states that have recently 
fully decriminalized prostitution, but there's places that are trying to push that through. And I think in um, Washington, D.C. recently, there was, um, it must have been, a, I guess, a municipal ordinance. Um, I don't remember exactly what what the law was, but they were trying to push through um, full decriminalization of prostitution in D.C., which would have meant that not the Nordic model, but decriminalizing the men um, who pay to be able to rape prostitutes legally. And that was defeated. Um, so that oh. was really a great, um, a great triumph for feminism. And that was in what state was that in? That was in Washington, D.C., um, oh. just a couple oh, months okay. ago. Oh, yeah, great. so I so... can... I can send you a link about that if you want to add it on, sure. the, on the website. Top stories um, from 2019. And what should we be watching for in 2020? Do you, do you think we're just going to see a continuation of victories um, and we're just going to finally overthrow the patriarchy? Or what direction do you think well, we're going? Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, I think there's this kind of dialectic between women rising up um, to demand our rights and to set boundaries. But at the same time, there's extreme violent pushback from patriarchy. So um, I, I doubt that we'll defeat patriarchy in 2020. I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of new organizations that are coming up and that's exciting. So um, like, for instance, in in England, there's the LGB Alliance, which recently broke off from Stonewall. Um, and Stonewall is the main LGBT organization in the UK, but it really wasn't representing the rights of lesbians or gay men or bisexual people. It had really become just a mouthpiece for transgenderism. Um, and so a group of lesbian and gay and bisexual people broke off and started the LGB Alliance um, a couple of months ago. And so it'll be really interesting to see what they where they go. Um, and so and they, the leadership of that new group in England, the LGB Alliance, comes from the leadership of Stonewall, which was an organization that was LGBT and the T had really taken over. Yeah, that's right. I believe one of the original founders of Stonewall from decades ago um, actually was is one of the founders of the LGB Alliance because he just felt that Stonewall had gone much too far in sort of trampling the rights of lesbian and gay men and, and, and bisexual people. <laughs> that's that's a great story. Um, yeah. What else has been of note? Because you said other organizations in 2019 we should be looking for maybe in 2020 as well. Well, another one that's um, potentially exciting is um, Feminists in Struggle, um, and they their acronym is FIST. And mm -hmm. this is a new national radical feminist organization that started up in the USA in 2019. Um, and the most exciting thing that they have done so far is um, they wrote proposed feminist amendments to the Equality Act. Mm -hmm. So the Equality Act is a piece of federal legislation that's been proposed in the U.S. Congress um, and was actually passed by the House but didn't hasn't been to the Senate yet. Um, and so it's it's pretty complicated, but, it, the, you know, the, the Equality Act has some good things about it. Um, it adds to the civil rights laws um, protection of sexual orientation as a protected category. 
but it also adds um, gender identity as a protected category, which is really problematic because the way that the Equality Act was written, it basically redefines sex out of existence um, by saying that anyone can be either sex if they just say that they identify as that sex. And then if they say that, they can then get all of the rights that um, women would have, you know, like to participate in women's sports, um, to be in any kind of public accommodation that's been limited to women. Um, and so that's really obviously very problematic for women in many ways. Right. And so that's also a big story in from 2019 that we're going to see a continuation of it unfolding and developing in 2020. And as, as I understand it, there is some disagreement amongst some feminists about the best approach. And of course, I understand the entire political system to be patriarchal and misogynistic. And so I feel like how do you fight the Equality Act when the entire system is in favor of, of men's rights under, you know, underlying the, the system? And so, in other words, you can't argue in favor of the Equality Act because it's flawed, and you can't argue against it either because it has good things in it. So I feel like we're caught between a rock and a hard place in terms of strategy and in how to, to deal with this Equality Act, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about feminist strategies that might happen in 2020 around actually getting Congress or whoever, you know, the politicians that need to see these feminist amendments, how and, and to change the Equality Act, to keep the good parts and to take out the bad parts. How do we make that happen? Well, that's exactly what FIST is trying to do, Feminists in Struggle. So they, they don't want to just um, scrap the Equality Act fully because, as I said, it, it adds sexual orientation as a protected category. And I think that every feminist would agree that that should be protected. Um, but what it does is it kind of um, provides a third way. So a third way that doesn't throw women under the bus, but also protects truly gender nonconforming people. So what it does is instead of adding gender identity as a protected category, it adds gender nonconformity as a protected category, because lots of people are gender nonconforming, um, lots of, you know, women, lots of men, lots of people who, who identify as trans are gender nonconforming. And certainly nobody should be um, discriminated against or fired or kept out of housing or, you know, discriminated against in any other way for being gender nonconforming. So the amendments, um, the, the proposed feminist amendments to the Equality Act are written um, to, to protect people who are gender nonconforming and, against and that's discrimination. Great, but how do we get the people in power in Washington, D.C., who wrote the Equality Act to add these amendments? Mm -hmm. Well, that's <laughs> that's a $64,000 question. I mean, it's extremely difficult to get the attention of um, members of Congress. So I think that um, there really has to be a huge grassroots movement by individuals in the U.S. Um, to contact their senators and, and ask for a meeting with their staff um, and go in with materials. FIST actually has a lot of good materials on their website explaining the amendments. So people should go and meet with their senators or their senator staff 
um, and explain exactly what the problems with the existing Equality Act are and why these feminist amendments would um, protect everyone. Um, and your senators and, and your representatives are required to meet with you. I mean, I've met with my representative. Um, and so, you know, it can take a little bit of scheduling, you know, to get a meeting with them. But this is what people should be doing is, right. is sitting they are down with our, their senators. They are our elected officials. They work for us. We don't have to acquiesce to them and, you know, exactly. ask them for things. We need to meet with them and say that we, the people, in our, in our case, we, the women, um, demand that you take into consideration all, I mean, there was a lot of hard work put into writing those feminist amendments to the Equality Act. As I understand it, many of the women who worked on that are actual lawyers. Um, That's right. So this is something, you know, that we need our senators and our representatives to pay attention to. And so I'm really glad that you made that suggestion um, to our listeners. And I hope that a grassroots movement swells up um, in our country as well, like we've been seeing all around the world, both on that lobbying level of politicians and making policy, and also in the streets. You know, that that's what's so exciting about that song and dance that you, um, Un Violador and Tu Camino, uh, song and dance that came out of Chile, Chile um, this year. Uh, that that kind of thing, both on the on the bottom and moving, you know, the politicians at the negotiating table. It's all it's all important. We all need to work in conjunction with one another, diversity of tactics to actually Absolutely. achieve our goals. And so, um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, for our listeners to contemplate as we move into 2020? Well, yeah, um, just to sort of follow up on um, what I was saying about the grassroots level and also to bring in a new idea, I really encourage feminists to find other feminists in their area and to um, start organizing um, and doing things like this, like get a group together and prepare like educational materials about the Equality Act, for example, um, or about abortion rights or other feminist issues and demand to meet with your state and federal representatives and senators. Um, I've had good luck when I've met with mine. They do listen. And um, in some cases, they, you know, they change how they vote or they propose legislation based on what constituents come in and say. So I really encourage feminists to to do that, to reach out and do that. And then in sort of in connection with that, or, or similarly, another thing I encourage um, U.S. women to do is to that we really need to start having big feminist conferences. Um, there were two enormous feminist conferences in um, England this fall, uh, the Philia Conference and the um, Feminist Legal Theory Conference. Um, and they were huge. I mean, Philia had like 800 attendees who were all radical feminists. And so there's no reason that we shouldn't be, be doing that in the U.S. as well. We really need to be meeting up with each other to strategize and to share ideas and to support each other. And so I think that's something really important for 2020. Right on, Elizabeth. And having attended WimCon with you, I must say that I agree wholeheartedly. And it just it felt so good. And we just don't do it enough to be in the same 
room, you know, talking face to face and evolving and developing our theory and our ideas together. And yeah, it's so important for us to have conferences. I hope that we have lots of them in 2020. And um, I just want to thank you for coming on WLRN and sharing your thoughts today. Oh, it's really a pleasure. Thank you.
That was Red Letter Year from Annie DeFranco. Now we turn to an interview Thistle did with Lear Keith, eco-feminist writer, activist, and urban farmer who lives in the Pacific Northwest part of the United States. Lear spoke to Thistle via Skype the last weekend of 2019 to reflect with her on the top stories and developments of the year from around the globe. To hear the extended interview with Lear that includes her reflections on progress and setbacks to the feminist movement over the last decade and moving into the next, see the WLRN Interviews tab on our WordPress site. So I am so excited today because I have Lear Keith on the line and we're going to be talking about the top stories and news and events of 2019 going into 2020. Welcome, Lear, to WLRN's program. Well, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, Thistle. So as we move into 2020, a lot happened in 2019. Which stories stand out for you when thinking about feminism and women's news? So I want to touch on a few things that are global first and then maybe talk about a few things that I know a little bit more about because they're in the United States or in English-speaking countries. But first up is Saudi Arabia, which is, of course, one of the most horrifying places on the planet to be a woman. Um, they, the women there have managed to get the, uh, the laws relaxed about male guardianship. Because right now, if you're a woman in Saudi Arabia, you literally can't leave the house without male permission. You can't travel anywhere. It's totally horrifying levels of patriarchal control of women and over the you know women fight this like there's you're not going to find patriarchy without finding women fighting back it's just a question of whether we hear about it and whether historians make a note of it so women have been fighting really hard they've been pushing back really hard over the last few years and they've managed to get the male guardianship repealed on travel so women are now allowed to travel on their own and then the big thing was women being able to drive and that really kicked off a few years ago as well um, and they now have managed to get it so that women can drive, um, which is huge. The problem is that some of the women who did the actual campaigning about it and did essentially civil disobedience were all arrested and they are still in jail. And it's pretty horrifying to hear about what's happening to them. And the most well-known one is a woman whose name I'm probably going to mispronounce, but Lujain Al-Hathlal. Uh, she's 30 years old. She was one of the main campaigners against male guardianship and the driving ban. She was arrested in May of 2018 with another a bunch of other feminist activists. They are now being tortured in prison. Um, oh. That's quite clear. And the Trump administration has done literally nothing. Um, Jared Kushner himself claims to be a personal friend of the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and they just, they say nothing. They say nothing about this. And this is a quote from her sister. Um, she said she'd been held in solitary confinement, beaten, waterboarded, given electric shocks, sexually harassed, and threatened with rape and murder. Her sister's now living in Belgium, and she wrote a, a New York Times op-ed about her sister's case. And the last time her parents were allowed in to visit her, and there were visible bruises on her body. So it's horrible. And I mean, this woman is so brave. She was told they would let her out of jail, out of prison, if she promised that she would not, that she would, uh, you know, say that she had not been tortured. So if she denied the torture and pretended it was all fine. They would go ahead and let her out. And she said no, that she wasn't going to lie for the Saudi, uh, the Royal House of Saud. So wow. she is still in prison being tortured because she refuses to say this didn't happen to me. This is an incredibly brave woman. And we need to put any kind of pressure that we have 
on our government to do something about this case and the other women who are these are our these are our comrades our sisters and their cases are almost completely unknown here so i you just feel that so keenly like what they are suffering right now for the most basic things that we take for granted right those just incredibly brave women they inspire us and it's also just horrifying what they're going through so saudi arabia um japan uh pretty cool there's a new movement there that started um, most women are required to wear high heels to professional jobs, like it's a legal requirement. Um, and they started a movement that's called Kutu, which is kind of a play on Me Too. Um, and it's a little bit of a pun. Be- I don't speak Japanese, so I'm probably going to slaughter this. But Kutsu means shoe and Kutsu means pain. So there's a nice little pun in there about shoes and pain and Me Too. Um, so well-named women in Japan, you've done a good thing, and they have a viral, this petition's gone absolutely viral to try to stop the government from requiring women to torture themselves to go to work. Um, and that's been, they're, they're, they're doing good things there to try to stop that and more power to them. Um, I myself realized as a young child that high heels were basically a torture implement, and I hate the things. I don't, I, it's so disturbing to me to see women wear them, which of course you see everywhere, and I just personally, I hate it. And I've seen the photographs of women in China, the foot binding x-rays that you can still see. Um, there are photographs of the last women whose feet were bound and you can see what their feet actually look like. And it's just, how do you not want to vomit looking at those photographs? So just considering the life of pain and it's not that different wearing high heels. It completely destroys your bones, not just in your feet, but you know, in your pelvis, in your knees, in your spine. Women have lifelong problems after wearing these shoes for, you know, even a few years. And there's just no reason for it except, oh, the usual, you know, male sadism and patriarchy. So anyway, good on you women in Japan. Um, In Chile, um, that incredible anti-rape anthem happened and that went viral. And it, it it translates the rapist in your path. And the words are incredible if you want to look it up, if you haven't heard about it. And women sang the song and they danced in the streets and then women started doing it everywhere. So on YouTube, you can see women like all over the world singing this great song against rape. And some of the words were, and it's not my fault, nor where I was, nor what I wore. And they are very clear about naming the rapist as the problem and that he's in the government and he's the president and he's everybody. And, you know, we're not going to take it. So that was really cool, too, to watch. I just love those little explosions of women's rage, you know, that happen everywhere. (laughs) Um, And then um, in Africa, there were some good things. Um, In Nigeria and Ghana, there's a huge scandal that was called Sex for Grades. Um, And in the United States, you know, we have laws about sexual harassment that, you know, essentially we owe to Catherine McKinnon. But it's not legal here to do this. And it is still legal in other places in the world for male professors to demand sexual favors uh, from women and girls in order to get grades. Um, And they were doing that in the universities. And so a very brave young woman named Kiki Morty, who is a survivor herself of this kind of abuse, um, she made a documentary. She got the BBC to back her. And so the story broke with her documentary where a, a lot of other very brave women came forward and talked about you know, what this is like and how it destroyed them and, you know, the kind of terrible decisions they had to make because there's no legal protection. So um, all of that, of course, has made change happen pretty quickly. So there's now policies in place in universities. You know, they've gotten on the ball. Uh, Various professors were put on. um, I don't know if any of them were fired, but they were certainly put on leave for a while. So hopefully we start to see better things for women in Nigeria and Ghana, both um, South Africa, um, another one of these like explosions, and they're calling their movement, I, Am I Next? 
because the femicide there is so bad that even the president of South Africa was forced to admit that it is, quote, like a war. Um, it's every three hours a woman is murdered in South Africa. It's one of the, the hardest places to be a woman. So women, it was a, an incredibly hideous case, a 19-year-old woman um, whose name is, I'm going to, again, I'm not going to get this right, but Yuyinin Merwetiana. See, I get my news mostly from reading, so I don't ever hear these things pronounced, so I'm sorry that I have mispronounced her name, but it's horrible. She was 19 years old, and it's one of those just stomach-churning cases. I won't go into the details. You can read about it if you want to look up the news on it, but after that case, you know, was... You know, they sort of broke the news that women everywhere just rose up across the country because it was so horrible. And they flooded the streets and they took it to Parliament. And they're trying really hard to get something to change because it just keeps getting worse in South Africa. And, you know, more power to them. I wish them all the best in trying to make something shift. Because, again, that's one of those really hard places to be a woman on the planet. Um, what else have I got? Um, a couple of things in Europe that were pretty fun. Finland. Uh, uh, elected and pretty much an, an entirely female <laughs> government um, and Finland is Yay, one of those Finland. places I know that's still like it's one of the best places in the world to be a woman so they've managed it they have really great um, maternity leave policies there and family support policies which really make such a difference in women's lives it's having children um, you know which is obviously one of the joys of people just People love children or they wouldn't do it, right? So clearly that's something a lot of people want to do and, you know, feel feel very drawn toward. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard on women, especially. You know, we are the primary caretakers generally, and uh, our, our careers suffer for that. And that means, you know, we're lifelong um, more vulnerable to poverty. And Finland is one of the countries that has really tried to make that not be true so that women can have children and not be penalized for it. And it's one of the highest countries in the world for men taking off. Um, time to to be with their families and um, you know, the, but there's still a really big pay gap in Finland. It's not as bad as other places, and you know, as usual, um, the murder and rape rate is like nothing seems to budget. So they still have those problems there, um, and so hopefully, with more women in government, and especially in high-ranking government positions, they can really take a look at um, you know the worst crimes that that men commit against us. So that was Finland. And, I mean, how could we not mention Greta Thunberg in Sweden and just incredible activism from a teenager and what she's doing to stop climate change. So I all hats off to Greta. And she gets so much crap. I mean, it's so obvious the misogyny when you look at what's happened to just, you know, a teenage girl who wants to do something good and the kind of crap that falls down on her head is really insane. So so that's kind of around the world, things that I remember from the year. Um now I'm going to turn a little bit toward the United States and England and Canada. Um, those are countries that are easier for me because I speak English and I only speak English. And so those are where my connections are, are best. Um, let's start with the United Kingdom. So the thing that just happened, I don't, you probably couldn't have missed this one, but J.K. Rowling came out <laughs> as, <laughs> I don't even, as a turf. I mean, here we are. So, she tweeted that, you know, you can wear what you want, you can live the life you want, you know, more power to you, whoever you are, but biology is real and women shouldn't lose their jobs for saying so. And of course, was raked over the coals for days on Twitter. And all you have to do is look at the things that men are allowed to say to women on Twitter and nobody stops them. The kinds right. of names she was called and nobody suspends their accounts. They can call her every 
horrifying insult, every kind of violent threat, it doesn't matter. Twitter never suspends them. So this <laughs> just got thousands and thousands of comments. Now also are thousands of comments in support of her. So people feel encouraged, you know, that somebody famous who they admire is able to stand there and take the fire that does bring out other people's courage. So a lot of women for the first time were able to say, yes, biology is real and I shouldn't have to lose my job for saying so. Um, the woman that she was supporting is named Maya Forstatter and Maya lost her job. She worked at a think tank, a progressive think tank and um, was, she had some, some publicly, she stated some public things on Twitter and I think on her Facebook page um, about, you know, this whole concept of quote gender identity and what she thought about it and that, you know, women and girls were being hurt by this. I mean, some fairly mild statements about it, and it didn't matter. She lost her job for saying it, and then she took it to not quite court, but it's a tribunal. It's like an employment tribunal, and I really encourage everybody to read the actual words of the judge in charge of this because it's insanity. Uh, what he said was that this is a belief, not a fact, but a belief, that Maya has a belief that mammals can't change sex, that men cannot become women, and that this belief um, is not protected as speech or as a belief. And in fact, it's, you know, a terrible thing for human rights that she has this belief and she did in fact deserve to lose her job. Hmm. Um, it's not a belief. I mean, it's just a fact. Like, mammals cannot change sex. That's all she said is that men cannot become women. And that is simply true. Um, and so she lost her case. And I think, you know, a lot of people were, are, are increasingly understanding how bad the situation is with the transgender assault on women mm -hmm. and girls. And this was one so, that poked maybe it up to more the top. People, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but maybe more people in 2020 because of the action that JK Rowling took are going to peak trans. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I mean, we <laughs> needed somebody like JK Rowling to come out and just be firm and clear. And she did it. And she is holding her ground. She has not caved in. Other famous people come out about this and then they can't take the firestorm that ensues and they back up where they go quiet and she has not, she's been great. So, you know, I mean, she's, has she, she made any more public statements though, since the famous tweet that came out sometime in December and you and I are talking on December 28th, has she, and, and this program is going to air on January 2nd. So um, I'm just wondering if she's said anything since her famous tweet came out. That's a really good question, and I meant to try to do a little research yesterday and got caught up in something just a sort of emergency where I was trying to help a teenage girl and, like, you know, one of those stories that needs attention. So I was not able to do enough research for our interview today, and I'm sorry about that. I don't know whether anything in the last 48 hours has happened with J.K. Rowling, and um, I intend to look it up today because I really want to know where things stand. I think if right. she had caved, we certainly would have heard about it. So I think that she is still at this point holding firm. I imagine she's just not replying to any of them, but it all stands there. And if any of your friends, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to this is more or less aligned with radical feminism. But if, any, if you've got friends or family who don't understand this, have them take a look at the, the Twitter thread underneath her original tweet. Because it is just vile comment after vile comment for simply stating the biological right. reality. That, right. that human beings cannot change sex. And between now and when we air this program, I'll also do a little research and, and see, um, and we'll certainly link 
to any breaking news uh, around that story. Good. So a couple other things that are a few other things that are happening in England, which I think are um, incredibly hopeful about this. Um, there's a number of other legal cases now that are going forward. So one is a woman named Victoria Edwards, who was uh, an out lesbian. She's a mother of a, a son. Um, she has an anonymous teacher and an anonymous 12-year-old girl with her, and they are trying to sue the school system in England to remove this trans inclusion toolkit. That toolkit compels schools to let boys into girls' bathrooms, girls' change rooms, overnight trips, sleep with girls, and not tell anybody's parents about it. And this just blows past every, you know, every level of common decency about what girls and women deserve, about our safety, and certainly about parental involvement in their children. And this woman has just had enough. So she is suing them about this. Um, and I'm just going to read you a quote from the anonymous 12-year-old girl that is one of her on her side in this lawsuit. She says, I hated primary school physical education because the boys didn't care and would run around in their underwear and watch the girls change. All the girls ended up getting changed in the toilets, which was disgusting. Now my body is changing and I'm really self-conscious and it's awkward even in front of girls. I love sports, but if boys came in and expected to be treated the same as girls, I wouldn't get changed until they had gone. Also, I'm a teeny tiny girl and I'm not very good at ball sports, but I do well at judo and karate and I do practice with boys. Even though my technique is good, I know that many 11-year-old boys can beat me on strength. If I did a competition against a trans, quote, trans girl of my grade, I'd have no hope and they would break me. So, I mean, literally, she could get her bones broken. She could have a skull fracture. Like, at that age, you know, boys are starting to take on full male, male skeletons, and their bones are heavier and denser. And this is one of the problems with why we have separate male and female sports. So here's this 12-year-old explaining exactly what's wrong. And where are the adults? Like, right. I, it's just beyond me. Like, this is just common sense. Why should this girl have to change in front of boys? And why should she be forced... In order for her to keep competing, why should she be forced to risk her physical safety um, and, and, and incur, you know, potentially really dangerous injury? So anyway, they're suing, which is great. Um, uh, teachers can also lose their jobs for, for refusing to participate in this. So it's, you know, it's pretty serious stuff. Um, and then there's another legal case. So uh, there's a psychiatric nurse named Sue Evans who worked at the Tavistock Clinic, which is the premier gender identity clinic in England. Um, and there's been tremendous pressure on staff um, to use this affirmation model so that, you know, within three or four appointments, young children are put on hormone blockers and then wrong sex hormones. And a whole bunch of nurses and doctors now have come forward as whistleblowers to talk about what's going on there, that this is just wrong, that these children are being permanently damaged. Um, and, um, you know, she's finally just going to sue because somebody has to stop this. Um, and I have a really great quote here from... Um, I think an endocrinologist who says there's so many unanswered questions um, about the reversibility, the serious adverse health effects, long-term effects on mental health, neurological effects on cognitive functioning, effect on bone density, circulatory system, sexual functioning in adulthood. We cannot stand by and watch young people be part of an experimental medical treatment. Um, and so that's, you know, the, the, the kind of the gist of her lawsuit. There's another challenge uh, from a woman named Rachel Ara, who's either a lesbian or bisexual, I'm not sure, but she's an internationally acclaimed artist. She was set up to do a lecture at a college in the UK, a university, and of course she was deplatformed. And it's all because they have one of those policies. Um, and so she's suing them to say that the critical discussion of sex and women's oppression is crucial and should be protected, and she never should have been deplatformed. 
Um, and another, there's two other really great cases coming up. Julia Long, who's a personal friend of mine, was refused service at the National Theater in London because she was wearing a T-shirt that said, lesbian, a woman who loves other women. And for that reason, they were removed from the cafe for simply wearing that T-shirt. And I mm-hmm. want everybody to understand how terrifying this is, that in you know the year 2019, like we are now at a, in a place where women cannot wear a shirt that just says lesbian on it um, without being removed from, from the public eye, like legally removed. Um, you know, like yeah. the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. It's just how did how did this get to be so bad where we can't even mm-hmm. just say lesbian anymore? And then finally, there's a female prisoner in a uh, she's anonymous at this point, but she's taking the UK government to court because they are letting men into women's prisons. And that happened to her. And it's unsafe and it's terrifying. And we know, well, I don't know if all your listeners heard about there was a case of a man named Karen White, who was a sexual predator who was on his own say-so, put into a women's prison because he said he was a woman, and then he went ahead and sexually assaulted women, um, and then he was removed. So there's now more victims chalked up to Karen White. So this is what they're doing. And gosh, who could have predicted that men (laughs) would sexually assault women in a prison? Like, whoever could have predicted that they were going to do that? So that's that's all what's happening in England. So... A lot of good fight back. I got to say a lot of good fight back. Canada, um, your friend and mine, Megan Murphy, has continued to be our Joan of Arc. And she had some incredibly difficult experiences this year. She spoke in Vancouver at the Public Library and at Toronto at the Public Library. And there was just massive meltdowns uh, amongst the social justice warriors. In both cases, there were fairly horrifying amounts of protesters outside screaming at people, screaming horrible things at people. The police were at least able to keep everybody physically safe. But, I mean, that's facing down the the howling mob. And she gave incredible talks. They're online. You can see them. Nobody here is saying anything hateful except that women have rights and mammals cannot change sex. So that's that's about the sign. She's very clear and she's very wonderful. And everybody should... you know, just to, to interrupt for a second, that's also a story to follow into 2020 because Megan or Megan Murphy is going to be speaking at an event on February 1st at a mm-hmm. public library that's right. in Seattle along yes. with Saba Malik and mm-hmm. um, Kara Dansky. Yes. So in that, that's called Fighting the New Misogyny, which is definitely something to look for in 2020. So I hope our listeners follow that story. And I am the moderator of that panel, so I'm extremely excited. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. They're already, of course, gearing up to protest us, and they've already got 1,300 people saying they're going to come and, you know, scream at us oh, outside geez. the building. I know. I mean, it's going to be a circus. But the thing is, at this point, the media blackout is so severe that it's kind of win-win. You know, they're going to come and behave badly. There's no way around it. It's what they do. So the whole world gets to see a group of horrifying men scream, discussing things at a group of very peaceful, reasonable women who are saying what everybody knows is true. Mammals cannot change sex. Men are men, women are women, um, and women, you know, deserve rights. It's really just Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk <laughs> 10 years ago that this would be where we're at, you know? I know. It's completely insane. So the other thing that happened in Canada this year was the lovely case of Jonathan Yaniv. So this is a man who lives in Vancouver. He claims to be a woman, um, and he uh, is clearly a litigious pest. He has a long history of taking people to court for rather ridiculous things. And he went after, as far as we know, at least 12 different women 
who offered, I don't know what to call it, a Brazilian bikini wax, you know, services. Yeah, I believe that's just the sort term. Of intimate, intimate waxing, uh, but on women. I mean, just to be really blunt, women's tissues are very different than male tissue. Um, the skin on a vulva, you know, around your vagina um, is very different skin than the skin on a man's scrotum. And apparently it takes very different training to be able to do it, quote, safely on a man versus a woman. Um, I'm just going to say I, I don't like normalizing any of these practices. I think they're horrible and they're fairly torturous and pretty disturbing that nobody's allowed to have pubic hair at this point. But that aside, he claimed that he was a woman and therefore women, women practitioners of this you know, particular practice should treat him, that they should willingly take a man into their homes this is all most of these businesses are you know run out of their homes these are oh entirely they were women who were immigrants um mostly from asia so they don't have a lot of other choices they've got small children you know they've managed to find a small business that can help support them working out of their homes when their kids are at school like you know good on them for at least trying you know to, to make a stable life for themselves in a new country i get how hard that is as a language barrier um, and he went after these women one by one by one. He didn't go to anyone who was, you know, a white Canadian. He went after immigrant women and demanded these intimate services, which they weren't trained for and certainly weren't comfortable providing. So he took them to court. He took them to this tribunal. This was a human rights tribunal in Vancouver. And the human rights tribunal said, yes, you have a case enough that we will listen to you, which I think is completely insane. But that's how bad things are. So he was able to present his case. And um, a very brave woman went to all, I think it was four days of that tribunal and recorded it surreptitiously on her phone, which is not legal, but she did it anyway because the, the press was not covering it. Nobody will cover these stories. It was up to all of us kind of on the down. WLRN covers these stories. Yes. But well, good yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like the major media just won't talk about it. So this stuff has to spread kind of virally, yeah. you know, on the down low, she was able to get all that testimony up online. So you can listen to how crazy this whole thing was. They're talking about her penis and her scrotum. These yeah. are not words go together. As, it's a I, total as I've heard Amy Goodman on Democracy <laughs> yes. Now, I've heard Oprah her re refer to a man and her yes. penis it's in her reporting. I know. I, know. <laughs> I stopped listening. To, I gave up on her a long time ago. I couldn't, I couldn't bear the gaslighting. It's too insane. So anyway, all the footage is there, and I really encourage people to listen. If you don't believe us about how bad this is, listen to this footage, because this man is clearly mentally ill. Okay. I mean, he's a horror. And I'm everybody gonna ask you, Lear, and, and I can, you know, edit this out if you don't feel obliged to do this, but can you send us links to all of these top yes, stories and absolutely. I will add them and include them in our write-up. Thank you. That would be absolutely. great for women who yeah. want to study these stories a little bit more closely. Yeah. So, so really, that brings us, that brings us to the United States, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. I, yes. Can you go. tell us what, what, what your take is on the top sto news stories for the U S yeah. I mean, some good, some bad. Um, the bad of course is, you know, the endless fight to keep abortion rights. So we've had a slew of these quote heartbeat bills, um, mostly across the deep South that would just completely ban abortion. So women are always fighting this just forever. Like it never seems to end. The most horrifying one was the one in Ohio, which was the ectopic pregnancy one. Um, the, the bill demanded that the little zygote be uh, removed from the fallopian tubes and then reimplanted in the uterus. That is not possible. Okay, I just want everybody to understand. They are demanding a medical procedure that does not exist 
and is not possible. And if you don't do it, you are going to be accused of fetal murder. It's complete insanity. And finally, enough doctors and enough, you know, advocates called these guys on, you know, onto the carpet. And the guy who was the sponsor of the bill was like, well, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Why are you writing legislation about women's health care if you don't even understand the basics? I mean, it's like it's most women, you know, who are of reproductive age have either been through this or know somebody who's been through it in their families. Anybody could have told you what an ectopic pregnancy is and how dangerous it is for women. I think one in 10 maternal deaths is due to an ectopic pregnancy. This isn't a joke. Women die from this. You have to treat it immediately, which means you have to remove it. And it's sad for women who want to have a baby. I'm sure they mourn. Like, that's got to be a sad thing that you didn't get to have this baby that you wanted. And on top of it all, you're now going to be called a murderer for something that's mm-hmm. completely not your fault. And, and that there's, there's no cure for this. Like, the, the only thing you can do is remove it and hope for the best. Like, women can get thrown into medical menopause from this. Because your whole yeah. reproductive system can shut down. Like, that can be the end of your reproductive life. And that's, like, really serious in a woman's life if she wants to be a mother. This isn't a joke. Like, it just makes me so angry how little care they have for women, how little knowledge. If they cared the tiniest bit about women, they would understand. They would, mm-hmm. they would like, have accumulated enough basic facts that they could at least make some kind of decision. And they don't care enough to even, no, we're just, you know, we're just incubators. We're just vessels. Like, well, what's the difference? It's like replanting a, you know, a house plant or, a, you know, like a petunia or something. It's not. That's not how mammalian biology works. Right. Like always, insane. always the so, materialists. Yeah. Right. Teeth. Always, always. How dare I just like in, insist in, on in, biological facts. Right. Yes. Always rooted in biological facts. So well, that just, that I'm, just put it, we had all our hair was just on fire when that kind of unfolded in Ohio. So at least that's over. They've kind of withdrawn that because they've realized it's not possible. Well, we don't, we don't have that much more time. Could okay. You wrap sorry. It up? Uh, what are some <laughs> other stories from the, from the U S that have really, that you've taken note of? Sure. Well, there was women's soccer, Megan Rapino. I mean, she's just a goddess, right? And they managed to get this whole issue of women's equal pay up, you know, before the, the public and have tried to do things about it. And I think, you know, half the teenage girls in America have a crush on her and now they've got a role model and she's fucking fantastic. So I love her. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was finally arrested and charged and then he took himself out. So whatever, you know, he's gone. Uh, but at least finally something was done. So I'm still hoping some of those victims can get some justice because a whole bunch of other really powerful men, their names are now have been released in those court documents. So maybe there'll be some justice finally for these teenage girls who were essentially pimped out. So yay for that. Let's let's see something happen. Um, the other stuff I want to talk about in the United States is we've got the case now before the Supreme Court that's the case that's going to be about the transgender versus feminism debate. It's not the case we would have chosen, but it's there now. We have the Wolf Wolf has filed a brief. That's my group. That's the radical feminist group. Anybody can read our brief. It's online. And we are arguing, you know, just the basic stuff from a feminist perspective that women deserve rights, that we exist as a class, that putting men in with women is dangerous to women and that you know, these are kind of insane claims that's being made by the other side. Now, the man, um, Amy Harris or Amy Stevens, is claiming that um, he is a woman and therefore should have to follow the women's dress code. It is not a lot of there's been a lot of um, very, um, I think, purposefully uh, misrepresentational information been put out by groups like the ACLU. They're not telling the truth about this. They're trying to pretend that this is somehow about dress codes. And it's not. The Supreme Court has said they are not making a decision about sex-based dress codes. That's established law. 
Um, businesses are allowed to have sex-based dress codes. We wish that was not true. That is not what this case is about. Everybody has granted that there are sex-based dress codes and that that's okay. That's already done. What this case is about is, is a man, can a man claim to be a woman? And that is his argument. I am a woman, therefore, I should be using the women's dress code, not the men's. And also, I should be using the women's bathroom. He works in a funeral home. There are women who work there who are elderly. There are mourning families coming through here. And he wants to be in the women's bathroom while people are in there, you know, having lost their husband, their child, their whatever. Like, this is just horrifying. So this is his claim. And we have written a radical feminist response to that in the Wolf Brief, which I encourage everybody to read. But that case is going to come down this spring. We are finally going to have some guidance from on high about how crazy this is going to get in the United States. So buckle in, everyone. It could be pretty <laughs> bad. It might be fine. Like, we don't know. We don't, we don't know. know. There is no conceivable uh, way. Um, Ruth I know. Ginsburg is still She's there. still there. She's still alive. She's still sharp. And she still knows what a woman is. Yep. There's no the way. She just got, I know. There's no way she doesn't know. So right. we're all just holding our breath to see what happens. And from yeah. there, the rest of it will unfold. So that's what I've got for the year. <laughs> awesome, Lear. So, th- thank you so much. So speak out, speak over, speak under, speak through the noise. Speak loud so I can hear you. I want to know you. I want to hear your real voice. I want to hear your real voice. Your real This, 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 this is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. The 2010s was a decade of feminist revival. This was the decade that previously uninvolved women became gender critical, the decade radical feminism saw a resurrection, and the decade that brought you WLRN's monthly podcast. It was a decade that spurred a feminist awakening of many young women who otherwise wouldn't have had reason to think twice about their situation as women. While we faced a new erosion of women's rights and protections in the 2010s, we also saw an increased interest in feminism that hasn't happened since the 1970s, with more women recognizing the difference between liberalism and feminism, and more women, including lesbians, choosing genuine feminism instead of liberalism. In the last 10 years, we have seen the rise of transgender rhetoric, influence, and power, as well as resistance to the transgender movement. The Me Too movement that brought rich, powerful men in Hollywood and beyond to account. Anita Sarkeesian sparking Gamergate, highlighting the misogyny in the video game industry. Emma Sulkowitz starting her mattress protest against rape on college campuses. 
Black Lives Matter movement, the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, the ending of Michigan Women's Music Festival after 40 years, and so many stories of male violence and sexual predation against women and girls, including that which inspired women around the world to feminism. This was the decade that I, Sekhmet Shial, became a radical lesbian feminist. My consciousness raising and realization of feminism's truth has been one of the highlights of my decade. I came to WLRN a green feminist, hungry for the opportunity to make a difference and the opportunity to learn everything I could about radical feminism. I am proud to say that after my involvement with WLRN and the last few years of activism, reflection, self-education, and content producing, I am more of a feminist today than I was when I started out four years ago. Participating in this feminist media collective has given me the chance to explore my political beliefs and contribute to the contemporary feminist movement in a way that impacts other women and girls. I thank you for listening to my commentaries and for supporting WLRN's podcasts and other feminist content since we started. WLRN has been bringing you feminist content every month for almost four years now and we could not be more proud or more honored to participate in the feminist struggle with our faithful feminist listeners. In the next decade, we hope to stay the course and bring you more radical feminist discourse, thought, and insight. We thank you for listening to, engaging with, and supporting our work, and we encourage you to create your own feminist content Keep the feminist dialogue alive and spread the feminist message to as many women and girls as you can. Happy New Year, feminist listeners. We hope the 2020s are a decade of personal and feminist growth for you and for the women of WLRN. for listening to WLRN's 45th edition podcast for this Thursday, January the 2nd, 2020. All of us here at WLRN hope you had a happy and safe holiday season. Thanks to our guests Elizabeth from Radical Feminism Resources and Lear Keith for speaking with us about their reflections on the top stories and events of 2019 as we move into the new year ahead of us. I'm April No. Until next time, stay strong in the struggle. And I am Thistle Pedersen. I want to give a big shout out and thanks to all of our listener sponsors out there. 
We feel tremendously supported, and because of your support, we are able to send a reporter to cover the Battle of Seattle next month at the Fighting the New Misogyny Talk at the Seattle Public Library with Kara Dansky, Saba Malik, and Megan Murphy with Q&A moderated by Lier Keith, our guest from today's program. That reporter being sent by WLRN is actually going to be me. I am really excited to serve our community in this way and to cover Seattle from a variety of different angles, so stay tuned. I will live stream video of the Seattle Public Library talk and events surrounding it on the WLRN Facebook page on the day it is happening, February 1st. Special shout out and thanks to Siobhan from Scotland, a longtime listener who made a contribution last month. Thank you, Siobhan. If you'd like to become a listener sponsor with the option of receiving a handwritten thank you card in the mail, in addition to WLRN posters, magnets, and buttons, go to our WordPress site and click on the donate button. Thank you for tuning in to WLRN. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sekhmet Shiawal. Next month, we will focus our program on the Say Her Name movement and state and male violence against Black American women. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, February 6th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast and full-length interview are released, please sign up on the WLRN WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And I'm Dana Vitaloshova. I look forward to getting to know the WLRN team and to helping with the podcast every month. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna DeQuarto, wishing you a warm and happy new year. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss?